Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 102. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, joined by my captain. Captain Sabriel Maston, and here we are here to talk about me saying here multiple times in one sentence, but no, we're here to talk about Fly Me to the Moon. Fly You to the Moon, yes. Fly Picard. Me to the Moon. <laughs> Nobody else. They may have just called it Fly Sabriel to the Moon and eliminate all ambiguity. I would appreciate it. <laughs> uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yes, when I first saw that, I was very excited for Picard Season 2, Episode 5, because Jonathan Frakes does good work. <laughs> uh, this is now halfway through the season of Picard, because there are only 10 episodes, and this is Episode 5. So we should have a lot more idea about where things are going. Where <laughs> we, we should. Yeah, that's the theory. Well, maybe we're wrong. Is there really a should? No, they can do whatever they want. I mean, they can oh. pull their punches until the last minute if they want. But yeah, this episode introduced some new characters. We got to see possibly more of Q than we have in the entire rest of the season combined. Uh, there were a couple of different genres at play here, especially in the last 10 minutes or so. Uh, Captain, what were you thinking about this episode? or any, Where do you want to start? My feelings watching this show. Um, you know, I like this episode. Uh, a lot of people online did not. But not as much as uh, more like pacing is a big part of it, or mostly kind of reflecting what you said at first of what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, we've been saying that a lot about Star Trek and Discovery in here. Maybe it's our problem, <laughs> not the show's <laughs> problem. I mean, yeah, I mean, you kind of said it like, uh, this is our expectation. The show didn't say like, we are going to have answers for you by 50% through the series. This is how <laughs> TV shows work. I'm like, no, no, you did not say that one bit. But anyway, how about you? Well, what was the feeling, general feeling? And then we'll talk into the nitty gritty. Well, the show continues to make lots of references to previous tracks and draw upon that lore. Uh, interesting word choice, actually, because the person who played lore was in this uh-huh. episode. Uh, Brent Spiner's genes continue to prove excessively dominant. It makes sense. Did I mention it last week? I can't remember. He's a geneticist. So he empowered himself to have dominant genes? Apparently. <laughs> or, you know, maybe one was like you know, predestination paradox, or maybe he's the cause of it. I don't know. But now I really, we have an answer. Mm. But, but your general <laughs> feeling, your general feeling of the episode, we'll talk in nitty gritty. Sure, sure. I continue to be underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had my, I had to suspend my disbelief a little bit more than I normally would for a show set in 2024. And I also kind of feel like this is n- not that much Star Trek. Like the the first word in the name of the series is Star. And there really isn't any of that here. Even Star Trek First Contact, which is set on Earth in Bozeman, Montana, half the movie was set in outer space fighting the Borg. That's very much entrenched in Star Trek and especially TNG lore. And Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, that was a comedy. 
you know, I'm willing to cut it a lot more slack. Whereas this show, this season, this series, we are just seeing them bop around Earth. They're in an old French chateau. They are in Los Angeles. And they're trying to avoid using modern to them technology so as not to step on any butterflies. And their spaceship is grounded. So it's it feels less like Star Trek. Uh, see, for me, the Star Trek is about the characters, not necessarily it has to be in space or not on Earth. Um, we've seen numerous shows where, or episodes where things don't really necessarily take place in space, like even DS9, like Homefront, or um, the Benny Russell episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, so for me, Star Trek is about the characters and not necessarily the space part. No, you you make a good point. Even just last week, I or whenever we were talking to Shar, I mentioned Far Beyond the Stars as one of my favorite episodes of all time. So that that's a good point. It, it is about the characters, and I, a movie that has just action and no character development doesn't interest me. Yeah. But also, those episodes were one-offs, and we're dealing with a entire serial season here where every episode leads into the next, and it's not like they're going to Earth for one episode and then returning to their normal trappings. So... It's. I think for me, it's both the characters and the environment. Oh, I think I could maybe tie this in into a segue to kick us off. Uh, we are clearly in the Star Trek version of the 2020s and not the real life version of the 2020s. How can you tell? As Trekkies, Goss is up. We all know <laughs> that by this time that there was the eugenics wars and World War Three is coming soon and there will be first contact soon. Um, in real life, unless they, it went unreported in the media, uh, there was, <laughs> we've not seen the eugenics wars in India and that region. And so truckies for the longest time wanted to make sure our timelines were merged and cause it's fun. It's fun to think that this is our future, but this is clearly the Star Trek 2020s and not our 2020s. We don't, they will draw a lot of parallels, but they are not. The same. But I still don't know how you can tell. We didn't have the eugenics wars. Yeah, but how do we know in Picard that they did? Because it's Star Trek. <laughs> and in their past, they did. And there's kind of a hint towards it here in this episode. Uh, when we have Leah Thompson, Dr. Leah Thompson, as whatever her character's name, talk about the Shenzhen Convention. Uh, was, um, we don't know for sure, but that feels like a very strong... There was not. It's not a real thing if you Google it. It only links you to Star Trek talk. Uh, and it didn't exist before this episode. Um, but it's kind of a hint of something happened with genetics, um, a, uh, an agreement among countries in, uh, at least the convention was in Asia. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I did rewind that scene because I didn't recognize the word that she said. And Leah Thompson, she was the director of last week's episode, right? Uh-huh. Last two episodes. That's right. So it was cool to see her back in a time travel show, of course, because she comes from Back to the Future. And I I didn't think to actually Google that phrase. It almost sounds like the name of the ship in the pilot episode of Discovery, but it's not. That's spelled differently. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I that's a good point. I hadn't thought about how that one scene would tie into the eugenics wars, which is in this series past. That's a good point. Uh, plus the whole... Nudian soon, like a soon name. Um, we've now seen it in like Enterprise that it's connected in some loose way. 
So, but, um, and also in that scene, we had a Roshenko. Yes. Sitting right next to her. So that would be the great, 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 great grandparents of Worf's adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Lots of little tie-ins. But yeah, so, so the timelines are not the same. We can't make, we can okay. make little parallels, but it's a Star Trek past. It's not our future, sadly. I always used to joke when I was younger that the actors from Star Trek just come back to our time period to act in TV shows. <laughs> I, I mean, it was all in jest, but it was always just fun. That sounds very friends. John Scalzi. I like it. <laughs> and also, as you and I were DMing uh, a couple of episodes ago, there was a reference in Picard to Rick and Morty, which mm-hmm. itself has referenced Star Trek. And then you pointed out the same thing in the uh, Star Trek movies, uh, the 2009 one, and then the last one, Star Trek Beyond. R- remind me what b- music they were playing, what band? Uh, Sabotage? They were playing um, Sabotage by Beastie Boys. There we go. Beastie Boys. That. uh-huh. That's right. And and the, they had two songs now. Um, yeah. And, and Beastie Boys songs. references Star Trek as well. Yeah. So you have to wonder, are they referencing in Star Trek mm-hmm. the version of Rick and Morty that references Star Trek? If you want to go into the layer deeper, Rick and Morty is uh, loosely inspired by Back to the Future. Starring Leah Thompson. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, and as long as we're talking about time paradoxes, a brief tangent, something I should have brought up last week when Picard was meeting with Guinan. So we decided, or it was discussed that the reason she doesn't remember him from Time's Arrow is because Picard is now coming from a future where Time's Arrow didn't happen. So if Picard is able to restore his original timeline and he returns to it, will the Guinan of that century remember him from Time's Arrow or will he, (laughs) or will she remember him from Watcher? Because those are two different timelines that have gone back to the past. So it's I, it, it's very strange. It feels like in order to restore his future, he must erase the past that he mm-hmm. is now in. Marty, we have to go back to the future. They erased your past. <laughs> what is it? Is is it my kids? <laughs> are they? Are they? Animals? They're idiots. <laughs> um, start. Oh, time travel is one of my favorite tropes in sci-fi, but Star Trek uh, plays fast. I mean, all TV movies. All that jazz plays fast and loose with time travel because there's so many possibilities of paradox and spin-offs and timelines. You just have to accept it for what it is and go with it. Because the best time is when they're trying to be consistent with themselves. But usually shows fail with that too. Right. I'm just curious to know if they are going to tie this in in the season finale. If he's going to go back to Guinan at some point. Oh, yeah. And she- and she's going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember you. Or like, oh, I don't remember that. What are you talking about? It'll be interesting. Because see. they still haven't even mentioned Time's Arrow. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, maybe he'll go to the future and Mark Twain is hanging out there all of a sudden. He's yeah. Like, what? <laughs> uh, but I still think like the Time's Arrow thing, if it matters, like they'll, they'll tie it together. They're really good. They've been pretty good about if they make little random references to like some minute episode that no one remembers. Mm. Uh, they probably have a big episode like that in mind. Well, did you catch the references to both Star Trek First Contact and to Discovery? Go on. When Agnes Gerardi is getting her passport scanned, her birthday is the day that First Contact debuted in theaters. Ah, <laughs> And the nice. renewal date on the passport is the date Discovery premiered. Nice. 
No, I don't memorize those kinds of dates for movie premieres. I confess that I went back and I did pause and zoom in, you know, enhance Sector B2 on the passport to take a closer look at the dates. They themselves didn't ring any bells for me, but then I Googled them and I was like, oh, that's clever. I like that. Um, I tweeted out a non-spoiler. Did you call the number? A key number. I saw somebody mention online that I should do that, and I did. I don't know that it would have occurred to me, but yes, I did. Okay, yes, viewers or viewers, listeners, if um, you can easily Google the number because I don't have, I didn't write it down, but uh, you can call this and you will get a message from uh, a certain individual. <laughs> it's very fun. I don't want to spoil it because it is fun. Uh, you'll get a like 15, 20 second message. But I called that and it was a delight. It was a delight. I haven't seen a TV show do something like that since like the 90s. <laughs> if you do want to call that number, it is 323-634-5667. There you go. That number again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can put that in the show notes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, the people have also done recordings and put it on the internet already if you want to. Sure. Not if you're an international listener and don't want to have international <laughs> charges. Um, okay. I was talking to Shar. Because uh, I noticed something. <laughs> Within the context of these three characters, not talking about anyone they've met, and that as a viewer, just in the context of these three people, Rafi, Rios, and Seven, from their point of view, their entire trip to LA was complete was a complete waste of time. <laughs> nothing advanced storyline. I mean, nothing advanced for them. They went there to find the Watcher. They ended up doing a wild goose chase and saving Rios and then they're back at the Chateau. I'm not talking about story, whatever, just in their point of view. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. That's stuff that we discussed last week, how it gave us an opportunity to apply some social commentary to ICE and the like, but it wasn't moving forward the plot per se. And it turned uh, up to not at all. Except for, well, two things. One, we never got resolution on whether or not they got his comm badge back. And two, there was a big butterfly in the last episode where they let all those immigrants loose. Uh-huh. So yeah, who knows? So, like Their lives have been changed dramatically as a result of their intervention. Yeah, so story-wise, it will probably have something to matter. But within their context, they just did the Indiana Jones thing of this would have played out exactly as it did. Uh, <laughs> right. I really uh, liked Crystal Ball's in, uh, interactions with Pedro. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that character pop up again. And, uh, you know, it seems like the kind of TV show where, uh, like, oh, Kristoff is caught in an alley by these people who are going to beat him up. And there's no escape because it's a dead end. And all of a sudden, somebody shows up and whacks the bad guy over the head from behind with a two by four. It's Pedro. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, like story wise, this scene was good, or the, these this this LA excursion was good for the development. We meet Teresa as well, but also for Seven and Rafi to work through a little, you know, a little bit of uh, Rafi's issues, uh, her grief. Uh, not not deep, not a deep dive. But kind of acknowledge them instead of hiding them. Um, like Rafi on the bus, I thought uh, the character in the background looked a lot like uh, Elnor. And then it it was he was sitting in the background like, is that Elnor? 
and because it was blurry and then it focused on him a little bit and like oh okay man that's a lot like elnor and then like six seconds later races out the bus and it they replaced it with the actor for Elnor for like a second and then put him back. I'm like, dang. <laughs> wow. Has a good attention for detail. I did not notice that actor in the background until Rafi did. I'm also curious about the interaction Seven and Rafi had on the hill when they were deciding whether or not to use an EMP or a transporter beam. And Rafi, uh, well, Seven said to her, you, I, you need a target. I understand that. That's how you operate. And yet, Seven, ultimately, the course of action she chose gave them a target. They got to go onto the bus and beat people up. Whereas what Rafi wanted to do was just transport Kristoff away and not see or do anything with the bus directly. So I feel like Seven's solution was more in line with what Rafi needed. That was... No, Rafi needed to... Seven meant Rafi needs to hyper-focus on someone. She was focusing on Gabe last season, and here it's Elnor. It mean like... um. The mission objective, unless I'm misunderstanding you. Oh, I I thought that Rafi was projecting, and since she couldn't deal or didn't want to deal with what she was dealing with, uh, with what had happened to Elnor, she was instead looking for an external target, and that's why she broke into the car and then hijacked it and did all these other violent okay, things. Okay, okay, okay. I follow. I follow. I just misunderstood. Yeah. 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 No. So I I'm still confident that the timeline will reset somehow, and Elnor will be fine. Uh, yeah, Elnor is going to be fine, uh, or seems lost opportunity. I wonder if this is another COVID thing. Uh, well, it's a shame. I like Elnor a lot, and we talked about it on the Discovery recap. How about like I brought it up? How like was some of the weirdness in the season a COVID thing? And I wonder if some kind of or or schedule thing. Like, why is Elnor such a minor part? Is it was he written off intentionally? Or written off loosely, or or was it some reason the actor was unavailable? Because, like, he was just such a bigger part from first season. And, I, I, I mean, he just was, is missed a bit, is, is what I'm getting at. Not that it's wrong. Um, yeah, when I saw the opening credits for this week, I saw his name. And I was like, oh, how are they going to bring him back? Is this some sort of a flashback? And it was so minor, I'm surprised that he showed up in the opening credits at all. Yeah, so it feels like they're just saving him for something later on in the season. But there's that much season left. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you need to kill a character off in order to demonstrate the severity of the situation. That's something that I talked about with Discovery, how it would have been, in a way, fitting if they had killed off Kayla Detmer. But maybe this season, the, the person they're killing off is Elnor. And just like they killed off Picard last season, yeah. no, nobody's ever really dead. Maybe Elnor will come back with a cybernetic body. <laughs> um, This bus, the bus... All their little establishing shots were so weird and broken to me. At one point, it's on the, um, it's on clearly a four lane highway, and then all of a sudden, another shot. It's on a two lane highway in a desert instead of the mountains. Another shot where they actually go and stop the bus. It's on the wrong side of the highway, and then the four lane highway again. And the biggest thing showing that this is clearly science fiction is that. They are on a highway in California that has no traffic whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Clearly not the 405. Uh, no. <laughs> wow. These are all very astute observations. I had not noticed any of those things. Uh, those are even the ones that stand out to me in the first episode, uh, first viewing. A lot of times I catch things in the second. This one was like, this is so weird that this bus is so em- and it's so empty. <laughs> I remember seeing Terminator 3 in theaters, and there's one scene where 
they're in a little like Cessna type plane, a small plane, and it takes off from the airport. And then there's a shot of it in the air and it's a different plane. <laughs> and then when it lands, it's the first plane again. I was like, what happened? <laughs> I, f- I feel like maybe they fixed that when they came out on DVD. I don't remember. It seems yeah. like an expensive reshoot. Um, yeah, well, like, why why can they not get these obvious things right? It's weird. It's those things you're not supposed to notice, but viewers, especially when it's one of the shows like this, but viewers are just going to notice. Oh, I had a tie in there, but it's gone. Oh, the, the cliffhanger again. Or it wasn't. Rios being on the bus wasn't a cliffhanger, but it was resolved so quickly. Mm-hmm. Again, just like the end of the Confederation future, where it's a cliffhanger, they're going to shoot the crew, and the next season or next episode is over in ten seconds. Yeah, I was like, uh, okay, uh, you found another cliff cliffhanger spot that didn't necessarily need to be one, but okay, we got things going. Yeah, I guess they are looking at the long view of where is this plot going over the course of a season instead of an episode. And they're like, oh, we're sixty minutes in already. All right, let's stop here. We'll pick it up next week. <laughs> like, like uh, I'm sure you've played D and D campaigns where it's getting late, and sometimes there isn't a good stopping point, but you just have to stop because it's late. I actually have done that uh, a couple of times. Like my players are so used to, I've gotten really good at cliffhangers and like, what? And then like a few weeks ago, I'm just like, and we're going to end there. I got no cliffhanger. Sorry guys. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> so it does happen. Uh-huh. It's, it's not ideal, but sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. Uh, the whole bus scene we can lead to another thing. Um, the bus scene with the escape and breaking them out was bouncing back and forth between that scene and our watcher, Talon, and Jean-Luc. Um, I don't know if there was a good reason for the bounce back, other than we need to extend this out a bit. But uh, we got to prove that Laris, or Talon, <laughs> is exactly who was um, predicted to be. A colleague uh, of Gary Seven. That's right. Yes. Um, with whatever mysterious face force that they work for, who watches the watchers, Picard even asked, basically, we don't know. Mm-hmm. I like the idea. They didn't really dive into it too much here. Uh, Talon, yeah. I feel like when they bring back a Star Trek character or concept, it's the opportunity to flesh it out further, to understand who are these people? Where do they come from? Why do they do what they do? How long have they been doing it? And we didn't really get that. We do know that Gary Seven was not assigned to a specific individual, and Talon is, so there's a difference there. But we also don't know why they're assigned to this planet, if their supervisors have some sort of a prognostication that allows them to predict who's going to be important. And and again, we still have another half of the season to go, but I feel like this character was introduced fairly quickly and incorporated into the crew. I That was a note I had originally had. I was talking to Shar about, like, Everyone this season goes along with Picard very quickly. Follow him. And he's a charismatic person. He's got a, uh, he's a legendary character. He's got a legacy. And, but then my second viewing, um, even talent here was did it. And my first viewing and second viewing, I'm like, okay, nope. It was not so obvious, but there was a clearly like hours long time gap of the two characters talking that was off camera. And whether that was useful for the viewer or not, I don't, that's to be determined, but they, they, he didn't convince her immediately, but all that convincing was done off camera. 
Well, also when they when they crash landed on Earth, Rafi was like, "Oh, you and Q, you played these little games. That's what you do, right?" So she was very clearly having it up to here with Picard and was not all that willing to go along. And ultimately, she did. Uh-huh. So we we don't really often see people disobeying Captain Picard, Admiral Picard, Chancellor Picard. <laughs> now, they may not like what he has to say or do, but ultimately they go along. Oh, that was something I had proposed to Shar when we were talking. Um, is that... Is that part of Q's thing here? Show him that. Uh, this will kind of get into my huge meta thing of uh, my big question, I guess. going to jump right to it. I don't know if it's directly one-to-one, but it's part of Q's whole thing here to show JL that for once in his life, he doesn't need to get involved at all. Is his involvement part of the meddling? Um, I don't have an exact point A to point B on this reasoning. It's something I'm throwing out to see if it kind of sticks. Is this part of Q's weird game here? So sort of like in All Good Things, the finale for TNG, where Picard ultimately created the time paradox that wiped out all of humanity. Yeah. Do you think that Q might be causing Picard to do the same thing again? Uh, I'm throwing it out there. Possibility. I don't have an exact connection mm-hmm. yet. It's just kind of like, hmm. They keep showing things like, I don't know what what is this is what is this penance? Is J John Luke part of the reason Q has lost his powers? Is John Luke's always getting into things part of the problem? And where once in a while he could he needs to stop and slow down and just live life. I I, I don't know. It, it's a bit of a mishmash of ideas that I haven't been able to really hone in on yet. The lesson Picard has to learn is that he doesn't always need to get involved in things, and that's going to make for a very boring third season. When you put it that way, but it's, I don't think it's to that level of don't do anything, just sit at home and twiddle your thumbs. Uh, he just doesn't stop to slow down and enjoy life ever. Yeah. I mean, action, he's the main character of this series. It's, yeah. it's, something's going to involve him. It's just something, sometimes maybe, this is cute. I mean, this is just Q's thing of you need to trust others yeah. sometimes. To do you some think point. Picard has historically not done that? He's always gotten involved. I mean, That's he's the, his he's thing. The That's his, it's, he's the captain. Uh-huh. You and I know that. But I, like I said, I'm throwing things out here. I don't have a clear, like, hmm. this is exactly why. Maybe even right way to word it. But I want to put that out there to kind of just get the things flowing. Well, let's talk about some of the other meddling Q did this episode, which especially involved the introduction of uh, Data's great-great-great-grandfather, and mm-hmm. also his android daughter, who I was not expecting to see that actor show up again. So um, if I recall from the first season, uh, the android... I'm sorry, I always forget her name. In the Dodge and Soji. Dodge and Soji, right. Thank you. Soji's physical manifestation was based on a painting of Data. Uh, I'm sorry, a painting that Data made, which Picard dreamed about. And so apparently that painting itself was inspired by one of Data's great-great-grand-aunts? Oh, well, we don't know that's what the character Android was specifically because it was painted, but now, yeah, this established that some kind of memory, hint, clue, something in Data's subconscious or or in his past. His subconscious had some kind of connection to the past. And yeah, this established that Corey was the basis of that. 
Yeah, so Data had a very good genealogical record of his ancestors to have painted that person. You're right, I, I mistakenly implied that the android was based on the painting, which in the first season it seemed like was true. Yeah. Now it's more apparent that the android and the painting were based on the ancestor. Uh, is- okay, if that's what they want to go, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't really have an argument for or against it. Just like, okay. <laughs> I'm very curious to see when Picard meets this uh, soon because mm-hmm. he's going to be like, Data, is that you? And it's obviously not going to be. And he's going to be like, wow, you have remarkable genetics. <laughs> Maybe someone will comment on that later this season. Because I presume that Picard is the obstacle that Q wants soon to remove. That's the reason he's manipulating him and saying, I have limitations that I was not aware of, and I need your help in removing an obstacle. And um, I'm guessing that's Picard. Well, Rene Picard. Q seems to be doing that on his own. And he wants, I think he wants to that, prevent Jean-Luc from undoing his efforts with this Rene. This is such a weird thing. We have, Q has so many pieces to this chess game at the moment that I don't know if we can really say one way or the other. Yeah, oh, like yeah. Sne- sneaking in as the psychologist to Which a... Was- <laughs> what, what? I heard that voice immediately and knew it was him. Oh, yeah. And of course, it's Q playing. He's not even the first time he's done this. He played this exact character, basically, in TNG one time. That's doing the ridiculous German accent. <laughs> uh, and yes, I am Sigmund Freud, totally. <laughs> but they have indicated how high security this Project Europa is. And if Q has no powers, for him to sneak in as a therapist so close to launch, like you would think that Renee has been getting psych evaluations all along, and all of a sudden she has a new therapist and nobody Um, questions this? We don't know how long Q has been meddling, because, well, that's another thing. I've always thought of Q as outside in the timeline and time itself, and all of a sudden this episode, something has got him to be stuck in the timeline. But uh, I don't know if I don't know if we've he's lost all powers or just every time the camera's on him. Maybe <laughs> we are the cause of his loss of powers. Um, no, because um, we're viewing him. If we stop looking at him, it's Sturginger's powers, you know? Um, but no, um, I kind of got different tangents there. Maybe he has limited, like, or he's just fairly good at hacking, apparently. We've shown he's really good at, like, geology and things like that in TNG um, when he lost his powers there. And so I can see, like, okay, sure, he hacked his way in to become a new psychologist maybe a few days ago, maybe a few weeks ago. We don't know when he started this scheme. You're right. And it's kind of like in, again, Dungeon Dragons, even low-level magicians can cast cantrips, you know, to light a pipe without having to actually use mm-hmm. magic points. So maybe Q still has some small sleight of hand that he can do without necessarily changing the very fabric of the universe like he's accustomed to. But, oh, actually, but yeah, it does kind of tie into... It might be a new thing that he is um, the psychiatrist because last week we saw him at the end of the episode try to will these seeds of doubt into Rene Picard and then all of a sudden, like this week... Here he is doing it. So maybe it does fit that he is the... Because he couldn't will it. So he's time to say, oh, crap. Okay, I'm going to go hack 
I'm going to go hack time and make it so I'm the psychiatrist now. Um, mm-hmm. And so maybe that was a very recent development, but Ray is not perturbed at all. Or this is very unlikely. So I don't actually believe this, but when Q showed up on the enterprise one time, Guinan raised her hands yep. to suggest that she had some sort of a defense against Q's powers. Maybe Renee is immune somehow. I don't think that's true, but it's a thought. Q told Adam Soong, here's the exact quote, I've taken time for granted lately, and now she's threatening to abandon me. And he looks to the side, not to Adam, kind of like not to Adam person, but like looking like he's thinking about something. And um, so maybe that's a hint of that. I, I mean, it's not a hint of anything, but it's a hint of what is going on that we don't know about. And you have to wonder if this is affecting just Q or the entire Q continuum. Maybe. Uh, if it, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I could see them being like, all right, Q, you got to fix this. Right, because <laughs> the last time he lost his powers, it was the Q continuum making that decision. Yeah. And this time it seems to be happening of nobody's volition, as far as we know. And we still don't know what Picard is paying penance for. Yeah. And I still don't fully understand Renee's role in all this. I mean, even Kristoff was like, so somehow this great aunt of yours, her not going on this trip causes our entire future to be corrupt. And Picard says, yeah, she discovered this bacteria or whatever that she thought was sentient and insisted on bringing back for research. And I was like, how does that what does that have to do with anything? This is clearly not first contact because we saw that movie. So what is this thing she discovers and how important can it be? Maybe this is some kind of important thing that gets people interested in life outside earth. Uh, Or it's an instigator, not necessarily this is a turning point where it becomes the most important driving force in humanity. It gets some people to go, huh? Uh, or and then it also makes some people go, oh, <laughs> I mean, people are maybe that's even how it connects to Christ- uh, Rios is getting caught by ice. You know, it's still got those people who are scared of people who don't look like them. However, despite whatever Renee discovers, World War Three still happens. Yeah. You ever see the 2013 movie Europa Report? I did not. It was most of the film was mediocre, but there were some amazing parts that really make it worth watching and it is about a human species uh human spaceship uh set in modern day or not too far into the future going to europa to uh examine some readings that they have gotten and it's really interesting what they discover there uh it's it's not a horror movie it's science fiction and I am thinking about it a lot this season because not only is Renee's mission called Europa, but also now they've talked about what she finds on this mission. So maybe not necessarily that there are parallels. It's just uh-huh. something that it's making me think of. Maybe they're tying in with the expanse and they're going to find the proto molecule. Um, people who watch the expanse will get that, but <laughs> and for those of us who don't spoiler, if you consider that a spoiler, then I'm sorry. I like that's like a spoiler level of you learned the TV show the show's name. <laughs> what? Shh. No, it quiet. exists. Don't tell me. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they don't review like Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild too. They're not telling us the subtitle because it's going to be a spoiler. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, oh man. Oh, um. I did think that Adam Soong's technology was pretty advanced for only two years in the future. Right? Like so that's the, another his, thing. 
his drone <laughs> shields. Like if it had just been a physical net, that's one thing. But these look like actual force shields. It's almost like the uh, Iconians, the silicon-based people. What am I thinking of? Um, uh, the Tholians. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's any connection there. But this also shows this is not our future. Uh, right. Because <laughs> if those drone shields were something he invented, which seems unlikely since he's a geneticist, then he could be selling that for military applications and funding his own research. And I think we've already seen them before in the Confederate future. They look a lot like that, just to a much bigger scale. The UV oh. protector. Okay. Uh, orange light. Like, okay, yep, this is Soong's, this is Adam Soong's future, for sure. And um, also, when uh, his daughter started suffering the effects of being outside, and he puts the shield back in place, well, yes, yeah, sunshine burns her skin, but also air is like acid to her, and those shields aren't going to prevent the air. So he should have picked her up and brought her inside. The big thing was, they pointed out, just the UV light turns her blood to poison, so that was apparently the big thing. I... Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Okay. We need to. Yeah. It's magic tech. Uh, (laughs) Also, um, uh, I really liked Q's use of the winky icon on the tech on the computer. (laughs) Like he didn't use an emoji. He used the old Uh, sideways uh wink. I can help. Wink. Check your 3D Um, printer, which is a really fast 3D printer, by the way. Yeah, it was. Uh, Adam soon worked for a genetic research with a military organization. Mm-hmm. I think it was. I think that was also tied to the eugenics wars. Oh, okay. Um, he said teasing me with data to Q. Ha ha ha. <laughs> I did pick up on that, and I kind of expected Q to say interesting choice of words. <laughs> it's data. No. Um, <laughs> By uh, the way, Q looks great in a suit. Yeah, and man, those two play off each other very well. Like John Delancey and Brent Spiner, like they've only gotten better with age. I think. Yeah, I mean, they had, when when uh, Q became human in that TNG episode, Data was his mentor on how to be more human. And that's why at the end of the episode, he gave Data the opportunity to laugh. It's kind of disappointing to now see Q manipulating Data's ancestor. He has no loyalty to this Soong lineage. He's not like, hey, your great-great-grandkid helped me learn to be more human, <laughs> and now you're just a pawn in my machinations. When was that? Well, this is now. When was that? <laughs> soon. <laughs> uh, soon. Exactly. Do we have much more to go there? Yeah, Q and Adam are are in cahoots. Not really. Uh, I'm happy to talk about Agnes now. Yeah, the Borg Queen slash Agnes in my mind, not the Anne sign. Fanfic people will know. That means, um, yeah, these two, quite an item, quite an item, getting really close. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed in Agnes that she seems fairly easy manipulated. Like she should know not to go anywhere near that poor queen. Granted, she pulled the trigger, which was awesome, but eh. she knows better. But she's she partially assimilated. The queen knows exactly that charm, the seduction. She knows how to use that uh, on someone who feels alone. Just look, you who is apparently going to be alone across every universe. She knows that charm and seduction of no longer feeling alone. You just felt it. You tasted that just a few hours ago, you know? And just come be closer. Uh, she knows uh, she, part of her is fighting it. She clearly fought because she shot it. But and she, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, and yet we have seen Agnes have two different partners in the first season of Picard. 
there was Bruce Maddox, and then there was Kristoff. Mm-hmm. And so she's not always alone. She doesn't have them anymore in her mind. Uh, the, the depressed mind does not always think clearly. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I feel more confident in the theory you and I have both discussed on previous episodes of this podcast that Gerardi is the Borg Queen that we see at the end of the pilot episode. And I have seen lots of other science fiction where the good guy allows themselves to be captured uh, as in like infected, corrupted, converted only so that they can then turn on their corruptor from the inside. Star Trek or Voyager did that twice. Voyager did it. Even lower decks did it with Boimler allowing himself to be corrupted by uh, Wei Yun, the robot. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. (laughs) Jeffrey Combs. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Agnes knows exactly what's going on here and she's playing the queen because that's who she shot the queen. She's like, I just killed our only way home. And she's like, there has to be a way for me to fix this. And the way for me to fix it is, you know, like in the old movie face off to defeat my enemy, I must become my enemy. Face off. (laughs) Um, I mean, Janeway did it with Borg twice. With uh first time, Balana, Janeway, and Tuvok got partially assimilated. Uh, and then in the Caesar series finale, Admiral Janeway got assimilated and broke the Borg. So it's nothing new. <laughs> but um, maybe it wasn't entirely Gerardi's plan, but now she's going with it. But man, that cliffhanger of the Borg Queen's hand on the shoulder of Gerardi was so good. I loved it. <laughs> Yeah, we presume that the Borg Queen still doesn't have a lower half of her body, but as opposed to seeing her strung up like a puppet, she is now the one pulling Agnes's strings. She is the puppet master in some regard, anyway. Indeed. Uh, um, man, the technology in this at this club or this this little gala that Renee Picard is at, and now everyone is going to do a heist movie thing at. Um, <laughs> Uh, that technology is far superior to a lot of things Starfleet has with <laughs> security on their ship and everything. And we How so? Just with the facial recognition, the 18 forms of ID, uh, <laughs> the very fast facial recognition. Like, uh, you could see Gerardi's talking to herself. Uh, just like, this is the stuff we talked, to, talk, talked about even like a week or two ago about how Star Trek security measures are so bad. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's not necessarily the, the technology. It's also the people who are paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Like on Discovery, we, we were wondering, how did Zora never notice all these people opening these maintenance hatches and going to these uninhabited decks and talking to themselves and receiving messages? Like that information must be logged somewhere. It's just very easy to bypass or nobody is sitting in a room watching the monitors to notice. <laughs> they leave it all to their computers to automate the security. And that's a mistake. Apparently. <laughs> Yeah, the tone of this movie, this episode shifted quite a bit in the last few minutes. Like they started playing like the the heist music, you know, and they really got Agnes all glammed up with her dress and her hair. Yeah, she looks great. Now we see she her. does yeah. absolutely. I would, I can't wait to see Seven of Nine arrive at this gala. I was surprised that they arrested her, and even some of them were surprised. Like, dude, we're gonna get sued. I feel like now, granted, this is a high security party, but Parties I know that have been crashed usually result in the person being escorted out, not arrested. Uh, the person even called him on. Like, why did you cuff her? Right. <laughs> He's like, well, the plot said no. Um, 
someone's going to question Gerardi next week, that means to me. We need her to stay here and see, what are you up to? Light on her face. Who are you? Who are you working with? How many lights are there? Yes. <laughs> there is one light. Yeah. Um, that was a little weird. And her goal was to get into that server room, not even because she's infected by the Borg Queen. Like that was her and her team's plan. I wonder what she intended to do there. Does she have some hidden tricorder that she can use to hack the servers from local proximity only? Or she has Borg tubules. <laughs> Maybe the rest of them know it now. I don't know. I don't think so, but I guess we'll right, see but next she, week. She certainly couldn't have told Picard and his crew, oh yeah, once I get into the server room, I'm going to use my Borg tubes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I also wonder what the Queen's long-term plan is. She, I mean, clearly it's assimilation of all life as we know it, but I wonder how that's going to play out because I think the Borg Queen wants to be in the server room too. She has a long con going on too, and I'm interested in seeing it. it's very slowly playing out. I don't think it's just to romance Agnes like I would love. I love, um, but uh, <laughs> is she just trying to get her collective back? Uh, well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, but right now she is more Agnes than she is Queen. I yeah. believe. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how those two personalities play out and which one wins in the end. I I believe it to be Agnes, but based on what we saw in the pilot episode where the queen shows up and she says, I need power and she overtakes the ship. I mean, we've now seen those same tubes in this episode, mm-hmm. the same Dr. Octopus type tubes, but it doesn't seem like Agnes to board a ship and take it over and claim she needs power. And so it could be that it's not one or the other that wins out. It's a melding of the two. A melding of them. Yeah. And we did see that she was stunning the people who were attacking her in that opening scene and not killing them. That's right. That's right. Somebody, I think it was Kristoff, said, she's only stunning them. Don't fire. And that is curious. I feel like we need to see that scene play out, and we will by the end of this season. Yeah, yeah. Except like, without the self-destruct. Right. We shall see soon. The swagger of Renee leaning against the bar. I love it. Uh, of course, the pilot's going to be like that. And then I saw yesterday, I, I saved the tweet, and I lost it before the recording, and I didn't look back for it. But um, the actress even tweeted a thank you for Frakes to letting her do that lean scene, leaning, uh, letting her do that instead of movie usually just like, or she, she, media loves to make women stand, you know, proper and prim and so they can show off their dresses in their bodies as much as they can. And here she's just like drink, leaning against the bar, drinking a shot down. Like, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. It was especially appreciated because she is not necessarily portrayed as a confident person. In this episode, you know, a lot of people suffer from, you know, they seem to be describing it as lack of confidence, but it could be something else. It could be depression. It could be bipolar disorder. It could be imposter syndrome. It could be a lot of things, all of which are very valid and real and experienced by people of all genders. So I, I'm curious to know how they're going to address that because Discovery has done a really good job discussing and addressing mental health issues. And representing them portraying them in a realistic fashion to a degree you know in, a, in an abbreviated fashion because mm-hmm. it is star trek and so what exactly is renee dealing with that q is not creating but exacerbating and how do they resolve that just by showing up to a party and making sure nobody influences her i mean when you have imposter syndrome that isn't something that other people put in your head and you can't hide from it by making sure nobody interacts with you at a party. 
Yeah, I mean, as, Picard, as Jean-Luc going to be come up to her and be like, I am your great, 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 great grandson, and I need you to go to space so I can be here to tell you I need you to go to space. Right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like these two are going to interact despite any of proclaimed desire to avoid stepping on butterflies. It's inevitable. Uh, and we also now, I mean, this is obvious, but just to spell it out, we now know why Guinan changed her mind when she heard Picard's last name. Yeah, yep. Uh, Cisco even went and they sure to say hi to Kirk. The temporal prime directive be damned. Trials and tribulations. Had to get uh-huh. his autograph, specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> and yeah. what was with all the DS9 references we were noticing earlier in the season? We are seeing so few of them now and no payoff. I don't know if it was supposed to... Did they say it was going to be payoff? Or is it all about expectations again? It's about red herrings is what uh-huh. it is. I don't know. If... I think it was... The audience and internet loved to set themselves up for expectations to get disappointed on. Uh, that happens in Overwatch that I cover. I'm not saying that they are right or wrong for doing this, but internet is really good at setting up their own expectations and hopes. And I would love to see Cisco or or Kirk Lofton playing a Cisco show up or something, but they never told us that. <laughs> Reminds me a little bit of Super Mario Odyssey. Where mm-hmm. when people are playing these 3D Mario games, they love to glitch it and get to areas they're not supposed to go to. And they would do that in Super Mario Odyssey, as always. And when they finally reached like this area they're not supposed to be in, there was a pile of coins waiting for them. Like Nintendo put those there because they're <laughs> like, yeah, we know you're not supposed to be here, but we also know you're going to try to find a way. So here's your reward. And when they show up, they're like, ah, dang it. This was expected. We've been played. We were meant to find this place. This isn't a glitch after all. (laughs) So maybe it's just Paramount Plus toying with us. We know that they love to have references. And so here we go. Here we Um, are. Yep. Uh, It it will be fun. And for when it happens, it'll be a little treat. But keep your expectations low so you don't get disappointed. Wait. No. uh, (laughs) No. Star Trek, the pessimist generation. Yeah, that was a discovery reference I just made. And I was trying, like, I thought it was Star Trek. And then I questioned myself. Anyway, Rene Picard at the opening had a good luck charm of a necklace hanging in the simulator. It was some kind of weird triangular ish thing, but we didn't get a good look at the entire thing itself. And the camera was right on it. And I'm wondering if it will be something that's important or just important to her. It was a little silver necklace thing when it was triangular-ish and uh, I, I was just like, I noticed it more in the second viewing. Uh, the way that they focused on it made me think like, maybe it will be important if it's not just important to her. I don't know. That's not something I paid a lot of attention to. Uh, I tend to watch these episodes only once. I think there was one episode of season two of Discovery that I watched twice and that was it. I think it was the penultimate episode of that season. And everything else that you and I have talked about on this podcast, from Discovery to Picard to Lower Decks to Prodigy, I've watched only once. I sometimes miss those details, and I don't know what importance they might have. Yeah. If I had a time or care, I would go back and point out to myself how many times I was right or if I'm just reading into things. <laughs> I used to attend this annual conference where Rob Walsh of the Today in iOS podcast would give a presentation and he would start with his predictions for the next year. And it's an annual conference. And the next year he would come back and say, okay, here were the predictions I made at this conference last year. Uh (laughs) Here are which ones I got right and wrong. 
And here are my predictions for next year. And there was more to the presentation than that. But since it was, he gave this talk every year for like 10 years. And it was impressive to see how often he was right and how often mm-hmm. he was wrong. So maybe we need like a, maybe we need a Sabriel bingo card or something. <laughs> I don't have much more to say, but I have a few like little things. Yeah, go for it. Talon, our supervisor, watcher lady, her pad that she was showing and live streaming or not live streaming, but showing off this panel was very much a Romulan like triangle. And the lettering on there was Romulan, especially oh, on her pad. Both were interesting. Now, what connection that means, whoosh, besides <laughs> being looking, looking a lot like Laris, we shall see. That was that. Maybe that'll play out later on. Uh, so maybe we will understand more about the Watchers later on during the show. Even if we don't get force-fed all the information the moment we meet them, doesn't mean it's not going to be revealed later. Yeah, we don't know why she looks like Laris. Picard pretty quickly established that it's not Laris, at least not yet. Uh-huh. If these characters like Gary Seven are especially long-lived, then this could be the same Laris we know from the future. The thing last week I said, like, I'm so excited to see where this goes, played out immediately. It was, look, I had seen the preview of the Borg Queen listening to voices and whatever like that. Uh, that was the part of the preview I'd seen, was that her hacking into the cell phone networks. Here I thought, like, oh my god, is she going to somehow like assimilate all right, I'll start getting the Earth of this time period. Uh, no, she's just doing it to make prank phone calls. <laughs> well, it reminds me of, I mean, to your point, I hadn't considered this, but there was a TV show by Joss Whedon called Dollhouse. Uh-huh. And in one episode, I mean, basically, they the, the concept for that movie was that the brain is reprogrammable. You can basically plug in and plug out personalities and skills and memories. So you can replace a person wholesale. Mm-hmm. And in one episode, they figure out how to do that using audio signals, like a modem. So you call somebody, they answer the phone, they hear a signal, and all of a sudden they're a different person, almost like a sleeper agent. So I'm, I was glad that, geez, the board queen didn't do that. <laughs> oh, the creepy, the creepy call out to Agnes. Agnes from across across the way, which apparently, like, oh, how did the cop? Apparently, Agnes just left the door open on that cloak ship, that or half cloak ship. Right, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that creepy Agnes from across <laughs> the chateau. Like, holy God, that was creepy. <laughs> and then finally, Agnes, wake up! I can't, <laughs> I can't start without you. <laughs> oh, Picard mentioned the history of this time period is widely incomplete. So all this data keeping, all this archi- archiving, apparently gets lost from in the wars. <laughs> and yet, he still knew in that pilot episode when he was giving the talk to Starfleet Academy that his great ancestor was Rene. Yeah, it's wildly all over the place. Apparently, you just never know what you're going to find. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, but the last thing I really noticed mm. was that the computer on Rios's computer iteration ship, I noticed before, but it shows up again here too. It sounds a lot like Majel Barrett. That's not possible, though. She is dead, but I know they recorded a bunch of stuff from her, the actress, before she died. And you can always just... Um, TV shows have been pulling audio out of people who are long dead and make it sound like they're in the current. And I I can't say it's the same person or, or someone like, pretending to be her. It just, her voice sounded a lot like her, even if it was not actually her or her voice. It just sounded like her. I am sure that if we were to pause and the credits for this episode, one of the credits would be the ship's computer. In fact, I did remember seeing that i can't tell you the name but when i was watching the episode i watched the credits and there was a credit for the ship's computer yeah and it was not major barrett all right 
and then and there's all that is that intentional you know or is it just a coincidence i guess um well, I remember back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was playing these games based on Star Wars and on Indiana Jones, and there was a Harrison Ford sound-alike that they hired to do the voice acting for both of those games. And you wouldn't know it wasn't Harrison Ford. He was spot on. So maybe they know what people expect a ship's computer to sound like, and they hire people who sound like that. Yeah. Um, in the new Star Trek Resurgence, they have a voice actor playing Spock. Um, there's a clip going around of 10 minutes of footage from this new game, and they have the character of Ambassador Spock. And the person sounds a lot like Leonard Nimoy. You can tell it's not him if you're like if you're in the know, but if you don't know, it's a mm. lot like him. Well, is that... Do they also have a uh, on-screen manifestation that looks like Leonard Nimoy? Yeah. Okay. Because there are, have been a lot of Spocks now, like Zachary mm-hmm. Quinto was Spock, and you never see him show up. Yeah. So that makes sense, though. If they're trying to capture a particular aesthetic, they would go for something that isn't jarring to viewers and listeners. Anyway, those are all the notes I had. Yeah, I have three notes. Two are about Paramount+. Plus. Yeah? Uh, first is every time okay. I go to watch a new episode of Star Trek on the Apple TV app, I don't know if this is a bug or a glitch or what, but it shows me a single frame from the Strange New Worlds teaser, and then the screen goes black, and then it goes into whatever episode of Star Trek I was I want to watch. So I keep seeing this one shot of Captain Pike on a horse in the snow. <laughs> and it's not moving. It's just a single frame. And I'm like, why? Why is that so important? What is, <laughs> what is the subliminal message? It keeps flashing into my mind. <laughs> watch Strange New Worlds. Watch Strange New Worlds. <laughs> and second, this is not Star Trek. But since you and I are both gamers and we both have Paramount Plus or something like it. Are you going to be watching the Halo TV series? Oh, it started. I don't know. I didn't really. I've barely played Halo in my entire life. So maybe I'll give it a shot, but it doesn't have particular meaning to me. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the games. The first episode is available for free in its entirety on YouTube, and I was going to watch it there. But then I was like, oh, wait, it's on Paramount Plus. I have Mm -hmm. that. That's better. But I don't think I'm going to watch it because I have a long list of other things I'd rather watch. (laughs) Like, I just found out back in 2003 or so, there was a four-part miniseries of Robocop called Prime Directives. Uh, It was four episodes. Each one was an hour and a half. And my dad and I were going to watch it, and he went to tape it on the VCR, and he screwed up the recording. Oh, no. At least that's my memory. Maybe Uh the reality is that I screwed it up, and I'm projecting onto him. (laughs) But nonetheless, it, like, was not made available for a long time. And then I just forgot about it. And finally last night I got reminded of it somehow. And I went to look it up online and all four episodes are available for rental streaming from Amazon prime. Oh, wow. So I'm going to watch that at some point. Nice. I would much rather watch that than halo. I mean, if we're talking about like superheroes and metal suits, (laughs) master chief doesn't have anything on RoboCop. He'd rather watch officer Murphy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Not played, however, by the Badmiral from Star Trek Into Darkness or by John Paxton from the Star Trek Enterprise Season 4 anti-penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. Not oh, that actor. Um, they recast him after RoboCop 2. Oh. Yeah. And the was it like 2013 or whatever? They remade RoboCop That's and Michael right, Keaton was him. in it. I never did get around to seeing that, even though I wanted to. It was bad. And the remake cool. of Total Recall was bad. Cool. Terrible. So don't watch either no one. No three that's, boob ladies. That's my opinion. I'm sure Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> has some uh, redeeming qualities listed. Uh, I forgot one note, and I could tie it into talking about cops. 
Okay. Uh, I, I have one. I said I had three things. That was two. I have a third thing, and it's about uh, a cop. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it is. I love that scene. <laughs> oh, that's what you wanted to say? Oh, dragging the cop as as Talon gets there and JL gets there. <laughs> He's like, they're an amazing crew. They are very trustworthy. I love them. They'll do anything, blah, blah, blah. And it comes up and they're just dragging this, what she thinks is a dead cop across the, yeah, <laughs> a dead body across the floor. <laughs> like, that, yeah, they're good. <laughs> that's why I say there were a lot of genres in this episode. And that scene was one of the genres. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, Rafi's discussion with JL. It's like, she's like, so it's not a little weird that she looks a lot like Laris. Yep. Isn't that like a little odd to you? Yep. <laughs> I did a whole little dynamic and then oh, good talk. <laughs> I like that too. That was good. <laughs> so good. He's just like, yep. <laughs> so it reminds me of an episode of Frasier where he was dating this girl who looked like his mom, his late oh, mom. Yeah. And everybody <laughs> noticed it but him. Oh, it's so good. It was so good. But you know, oh. we're talking about cliffhangers for this season, how sometimes they are resolved adequately and sometimes they're not. The big cliffhanger for me this season, this episode, is what happens to his spleen? Oh, <laughs> well, it stays in the box. Maybe they give it to him. And then all of a sudden, that that horrible internet um, conspiracy of like you wake up in a bathtub with your spleen. <laughs> <laughs> we may never know. Maybe the queen assimilates it. Maybe it goes back to the future. And we don't know. It's a huge the- paradox. The spleen will uh, be be the board queen. So we have some cliffhangers here. Maybe we'll find out next week. Until next time. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. What's that from? Fly me to the moon. Oh, okay. Hit it. There you go. Is that better? <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. Hello, you have reached the Q Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal mind cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call and we simply do not care. Have a nice day.